Good morning. Man, it's good to be in God's house, worshiping his name, amen? amen? We are free indeed, and if you aren't free, we're going to figure out how this morning. I uh, recently heard a pastor tell a story about being asked to come and preach in front of a, a large group of people. And he was told by the gentleman that was inviting him to come speak to this group that he would be speaking to a mostly saved crowd. That, that you know, by and large, everybody there would be saved, would be born-again folks. And so the gentleman, he asked the preacher, he said, well, what do you think you'll preach on? And the man said, I think I'll preach the gospel. And the guy looked at him and said, but I just told you that you're going to be preaching to a crowd of mostly saved people. Why would you, you know, go that direction? And the man told him, and I love his statement. He said, well, two things. One, we can never assume that everyone in the crowd is saved. You must always, I don't want to use the word assume, but, but at least understand that if there's one lost person in the group, then we need to preach the gospel. And two, that for those who are saved, it's a great reminder for us of what God has done on our behalf. When I think about what God has done on my behalf, I have a hard time holding it together. The gospel is the good news. It is the good news of Jesus Christ and what he did for you and I on the cross at Calvary. Um, the gospel is the best news that any of us will ever hear. It is the life, the death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, the gospel on top of being the best news that we will ever hear, for those who hear it, how they respond to it, how we respond to it, will determine where we will spend eternity. So a couple of things for today that I hope to accomplish is first and foremost to share the gospel plainly for anyone to hear it, to understand it, for those that don't know Christ as their Savior, to make that decision. Hopefully to receive Christ through his gospel and to be born again. But make no doubt about it, if you are in this place this morning and you are lost, you will make a decision before you leave here today. Because the gospel will be presented. And for those of us who know Christ as our Savior, just a reminder for us of the depths and heights of God's love for you and I. That he would send his only son. That he would give his life on our behalf for our sin and not for anything that he did. So let's, let's look at it. Um, as we begin, I want to look at Paul's description, and we're not going to camp out here long. We're just going to kind of, I think this is the best description that we see in the simplest form of what the gospel is. 
And we're going to do a little bit of Bible calisthenics today. We're going to be in multiple passages. But let's look at what Paul said about the gospel. He said, for I delivered to you as of first importance, primary, number one. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures. That he was buried That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, just like the Old Testament foretold. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That's the gospel. That Jesus Christ gave his life for you and I. That he died on the cross, that he was buried, and that on the third day he rose again. And that he sits at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. That's good news. We all get asked that question, and you you figure out, are you a bad news person or a good news person? Somebody comes to you and says, well, I got bad news and I got good news. Which one do you want first? Are you a good news person or a bad news person? I'm a bad news person. Give me the bad first so we can end on the good. You know, that way I I can walk away from the conversation and hopefully by that time forgot what the bad was anyway. So we're going to look at at the bad news first. So turn in your Bibles to Romans. And we're going to be in Romans for the rest of this. But we're going to start in Romans chapter 3. Give you a chance to get there. I say we're gonna we're gonna follow. A, a lot of you will recognize the path that we are going to take today. Romans three, starting on the second half of verse twenty-two, he says, "For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned." Now we could could spend. Two hours here talking about original sin and, and why we sin and all those kind of things. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, we sin. Nobody encourages us to sin, or sometimes we do have friends that encourage us to sin, but nobody had to encourage us to do that. We were happy to do it on our own. Um, we have bookcases in our house, and Cheryl has a lot of knickknacks all over the place. We had one, one guy tell us that it looked like the positivity fairy threw up on our bookcase. <laughs> but we have little grandchildren and all them little knickknacks up there, you know, it, it's fun to watch them because they go up there and they stand there and they look at it and they look at you and they look at it and they look at you and then they slowly start to reach that hand out and grab what they know they're not supposed to have because they've already been told, no, you can't touch that. And then they look at you. Nobody had to teach them that. It's our nature. Our nature is to sin. And you look at it, what is sin? And it says there in that verse that Paul tells us that it's falling short of the glory of God. So you may think to yourself, well, I'm not really a bad person. I don't really do a whole lot of stuff. You know, I'm not real bad. Well, we all fall short of God's glory. And we're sinners. That's the truth of the matter. Uh, One of the commentators uh, that I read put it this way. He said, you know, you may not not be the harlot or the thief. And the harlot or the thief may be down in the coal mine and you may be on the top of the Alps. 
but none of us, no matter what the position, will be able to touch the stars. We're all equally sinners. That's the bad news. So let's look at the good news. Well, go to Romans 6. Let's look at Romans 6. And we will start in verse 19. So part of the bad news, I guess, is that there's a price to be paid for sin. Um, the good news is that Jesus paid that on our behalf. So we'll start in, in 6, verse 19. And this is basically Paul, and he's giving us an apology for using slavery as an object lesson. He says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Paul spoke in these terms because it's what his readers would understand. Uh, a large part of those that he was writing to, a large part of the people he was writing to were slaves. That was their reality. And so he spoke in terms that they could understand. It says, just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. If you ask an addict why they continue down the road they're on, they're still trying to find that first high. They're still trying to find that, that first feeling that they got the first time that they took that drug or they took that drink or whatever it might be. And sin is like that for all of us. Is that we get a little taste of something and then we want a little more. And then when we get that, then we want even a little bit more. So lawlessness leads to lawlessness. Our sin nature is progressive and it gets progressively worse. And we become enslaved to that. An addict becomes enslaved to finding that first high. As a sinner, we become enslaved to finding whatever fulfills us from this world. We start looking to different things that the world offers us to try to satisfy that need. And the world does not have it. You can search and you can search and you can search and you can try everything imaginable under the sun and you will never find satisfaction in what this world offers us. It's impossible. So he says, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but... What fruit were you getting at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? So if we look at, at our life apart from Christ, what fruit did that generate for us? What fruit did chasing after the things of this world benefit us? I can't think of a thing. Shame, misery, guilt. All of the things that Christ longs to take from us when we receive him as our Savior. It provided no good fruit. For the end of those things is death. And now this goes again, uh, you know, we're looking at this from both sides of it. We'll look at it from the, 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 the side of a lost person. And that death is eternal death 
separated from God in a place called hell. But for you and I as believers, we still have that, that uh, flesh inside of us that leads us to these things that, that, that God would say that we shouldn't do that leads us to sin. But the end of that is death. And, and, I, and I say this, and I'll always say it, I guess, that the evidence of God's life inside of us is that sin, I'm going to use the word irritates, but it's so much bigger than that. You, if you can live at peace with your sinfulness, then you are not his child. Then you are lost. If you can live at peace with the sin in your life, then you don't know Christ. Because he is a faithful father and he chastises us. And the death for you and I who are born again that that leads to is just misery. If you can sin freely and not be miserable, there's a problem. But that death for you and I is just that feeling of of just awfulness that God does not want for his children. That he set you free from. That he gave us new life. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. So what are we to do? Paul says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you're apart from Christ. Your wages are death. Spiritual death, physical death. For those who are in Christ, those things have been put away on the cross. That we have eternal life and will never suffer death. The wages of sin for the lost person is death. What are wages? They are things that we earn. Men go to desperate lengths to earn hell. God does not desire that anyone would be in hell. But for those who are lost in our sinfulness or in their sinfulness, they are earning what they're asking for. They are going to work every day diligently working towards that end for that paycheck that is death. For you and I who are in Christ, it has been said that there are no wages for those who are in Christ, but the benefit package is amazing. It is eternal life. It is peace. It's joy. It's hope. And I will go even further than that. It's priceless. A life in Christ is priceless. You can't buy that peace. You can't buy that hope. You can't buy that joy. It's freely given to you because of what Christ did for us on the cross. But if you don't know Christ, you earn what you ask for. You signed up for that. And for those who know Christ, if the wages of sin, if there's, there's, why are we working for our old master? Paul said that, that you have a new master, that you have God, the father. And when he says that we are a slave to righteousness, understand that term is not a derogatory term. That when you become a slave to righteousness or a slave 
to God, you do it willingly and freely. That that is your number one main focus. If you are a slave to something, that is what you do. That is what you focus on. Some of us are slaves to our jobs. We're a slave to our kids. We're a slave to our marriages. We can be slaves to a lot of things. We choose that. But when we become a slave to God, his righteousness is freely given to us. And that's what we seek. That's what we desire. Sin no longer has attraction to us. Because we understand that it leads to death. So Paul tells us that the wages of sin is death. If you're lost in this place today, that's what you're earning. You've asked for that. So what's the answer? God. Uh, That sounds easy. God's redeeming love so if there were we were sinners when we're lost and there's a price to be paid for that who paid the price christ paid that price for us so let's look at romans chapter 5 let's look at god's redeeming love we'll look at 5 and uh we'll look at verses 6 through 9 For while we were still weak at the right time, I love that. While we were weak, when the time was right, when God knew we needed a Savior, He spoke into our hearts and we were born again. For those of you who are in this room saved, God was right on time. He was right on time. He knew when you were ready and He spoke into your heart in that moment in due time. And you receive Christ as your Savior. For those of you who are lost, right now is your due time. Christ died for the ungodly. Who did Christ die for? The ungodly. Well, that offends me. (laughs) Guess what? We are the ungodly. Paul spent the first two chapters of the book of Romans explaining that you and I, we're the ungodly. We're the ones that Christ died for. It says that for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this. He says, you will say, oh, I am one of the worst in the world. Christ died for the worst in the world. Oh, but I have no power to be better. Amen. Christ died for those that were without strength. Oh, but my case condemns itself. Christ died for those that were legally condemned. But my case is hopeless. Christ died for the hopeless. He is the hope of the hopeless He is the Savior, not of those partly lost, but of those wholly lost. If Christ died for the ungodly, this fact leaves the ungodly no excuse. If they do not come to him and believe in him unto salvation, had it been otherwise, they might have pleaded, we are not fit to come. But you are ungodly, and Christ died for the ungodly. Why not for you? Christ died for all of us. I was one of those that 
that back when I was a lost person, uh, you, you hear the story, well, it, well, if I go to church, the roof will fall in. How many times have we heard somebody say that? That's a lame excuse, but I used it. I was too bad, too awful, too sinful, too full of myself. I was too everything. I was the ungodly. But then Christ spoke into my heart and awakened me to his love for me, and he saved my soul because he came to save the ungodly. Jesus said it himself that he did not come for those who are well, but he came for those who are sick. We're sick, y'all. Sin is a sickness that we all have that God sets us free from by his righteousness. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, he did not ask you to clean yourself up to come to him. That doesn't work. When I get better, when I, when I get rid of this habit, when I do this or when I do that, I'll come to Jesus. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, come as you are. He wants you as you are. Let him do the work in your life. Don't try to clean yourself up to come to God. Come to God and let him do that work of cleaning your life up. That's his job, not ours. Since therefore, we have now been justified. That word justified is a legal term. And it doesn't mean that we've been found not guilty because we are guilty. It it means that, that we have been adjudicated innocent because of Christ. To be justified means to find no guilt, no condemnation in you. We've been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. That we be saved by his life speaks to you and I, born again person. That, that there is a process, there is an ongoing process of the life of Christ in us. That every day we are being saved from ourselves. Because we are our worst enemy. That we are being saved by his life. Not by, by doing a better life. Not, not my, my better life now. Th- that's a bunch of garbage. By his life always. And by his life only. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. You didn't earn reconciliation. Uh, To be reconciled means that there was something between us and God. Sin. Us. There was an issue. Our issue. But we've been reconciled. That that thing that was between us and God has been put away by Jesus Christ on the cross. And we received that. We didn't earn it. It was given to us. So God's redeeming love is the cure for our sinfulness. I love this quote from David Hughes. It says, the work of Jesus on the cross for us is God's ultimate proof of his love for you. He may give additional proof, but he can give no greater proof. If the cross is the ultimate demonstration of God's love, it is also the ultimate demonstration of man's hatred. Jesus went to the cross for you and I 
but it was hateful men that put him there. But I love this. It also proves that the height of man's hatred cannot defeat the height of God's love. The demonstration of God's love isn't displayed so much in that Jesus died, but it is seen in whom Jesus died for us, the ungodly sinners. So Jesus' redeeming love is what we need. So how do we receive that? Let's look at uh, Romans chapter 10. Flip over to Romans chapter 10. And we'll look at Romans 10, 9, and then we'll, we'll cover the whole passage. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. It does not say there that if you'll do A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, if you'll go through these 12 steps, if you will clean yourself up, if you will start coming to church, if you will start tithing, if you will start doing all of these spiritual calisthenics, that you will be saved. He says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. I want to read that, the, the context of that passage. because It says, but what does it say? And I love this. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Well, what does that say to us? It says that the word is right here, right now. It, it's in your heart and it's in your mouth. It's ready to be spoken. It says that the spirit of God is speaking to you now. If you don't know Christ, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that funny feeling you're getting... Those butterflies that you feel, that's the Spirit of God speaking to your heart. It's near to you. It's right here, right now. Why turn away from it? Man, he's speaking to us. That's a word of faith that we proclaim, that we proclaim faith in Jesus Christ. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't say that you might be. It says that you will be. For with the heart we believe. With the heart. And is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And I love this. For the scripture says everyone, not some, but everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. There's no up here and down here. We're all level at the foot of the cross. Equal. You want equality? There's only equality found in Jesus Christ. That's where we find equality. Because he looks at us all the same. This world will never have equality. There'll always be the rich, the poor, and the middle class. But with Christ, we are all equal in his eyes. There's no one higher than the other. I don't care if you stand up here or sit down there. We're all equal in Jesus' eyes. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing, giving freely his riches on all, all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Where are you at, Calvinist? Where are you at? Because that right there tells me that everyone, not the the chosen few, but everyone. And I love that. That's our God. That's his love for us. 
Man, and it says that we believe with our heart. Don't miss that. That's important. Because we believe a lot of stuff with our mind and, and, and intellectual belief in, in who Jesus is or, or even what he did on the cross. That intellectual belief is not enough. you got to believe it here. There's a lot of things that we can believe in our mind, but in our heart, we're not so sure. It's with the heart that we believe. It's giving Jesus our heart, not just our mind, but he wants our heart. We believe in our heart that he is who he says he is, that he's done what he said he did and that he died for you and I. That comes from your heart. And it's important that we confess that, that we tell people, man, I'm saved. Jesus changed my life. Bible tells us that if we are ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of us in front of his father. If we're going to be born again, when God stirs our heart, we need to confess that. We need to pray and receive Christ as our savior. Confessing who he is. When we use that word confess, when it says that we confess, it means that we are in agreement, full, complete agreement with God about what he says about Jesus. Complete agreement, not partial We are confessing, agreeing with God about who Christ is and what he's done for you and I. That's the gospel. He died, he's buried, he's raised again, he died for us. For us. And that word for, when it talks about Jesus dying for us, in the original language, it means on our behalf. It means in our place. That that cross was for you and I. And he went there in our stead. And died for you and I. Not for anything that he had done. But for what we've done. Charles Spurgeon said, we believe everything which the Lord Jesus has taught. Talking about confession. But we must go a step further and trust him. It is not even enough to believe in him as being the son of God and the anointed of the Lord, but we must believe on him. The faith that saves is not believing certain truths nor even believing that Jesus is a savior, but in resting, come on, can I get an amen on resting? And on him, depending on him, lying with all your weight on Christ as the foundation of your hope. That strips all us away, y'all. All your weight laid upon Christ, allowing him to do everything. It's not about us. Believe that he can save you. Believe that he will save you. At any rate, leave the whole manner of your salvation with him in unquestioning confidence. Depend on him without fear as to your present and eternal salvation. This is the faith which saves the soul. So we saw the problem, sin. There's a price to be paid for sin. We saw that God's redeeming love paid the price for that sin. We saw that that we must receive Christ, must believe in our heart, confess with our mouth, receive Christ as our Savior. What's the result of all that? It's a changed life, y'all. It's new life. Uh, I love that. You know, where Paul says in the Corinthians, but behold, you know, that, that the old life has been done away with. And behold, all things have been made new. 
It means your old life is completely put away. It's completely done away with. There's, there's no reason for us to revisit that life. That we've been made new and we need to live in that newness. But there's some, some great results. Look at Romans 5, 1 and 2. Romans 5, chapter 1. It says that therefore, as a result of... Why is the therefore, therefore... It is a result of what Christ has done for us. Since we have been justified, we're talking about justified, not just being found innocent, but being found without any blame at all. Justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Understand, that's not the peace of God that he gives us when we get saved because he does give us peace That is peace with God. There's a difference between the peace of God and peace with God. We have peace with God that we, because of our sinfulness, in white-fisted rebellion, wanted nothing to do with God. But in that position, Christ died, gave his life for us, set us free, went to the cross freely, and in that, he won our peace. You think about it. In a battle. The battle was raging between us and God because of who we are and what we did. Christ on the cross won our peace with God. That's peace with God. Peace with the God that we wanted nothing to do with. We now have peace because of Christ. Verse 2 Through Him we also have obtained access. By faith into this grace in which we stand. I love that. We have been given access to the very grace of God. His unmerited favor that he freely gives to you and I. And that is our position. I love that it says we stand in that grace. I don't stand in this world. I stand in what Jesus Christ has already won for me on the cross. His grace. His Favor. We have favor with the creator of heaven and earth. That God wants fellowship with you and I that would say, he would say to you and I, come into my throne room. Rest in my presence. Share with me your burdens. That's because of what Christ did for us on the cross. That's part of, of, of the bonus of being saved. Eternal life in, in heaven is just a small piece of what we get when we receive Christ as our Savior. That's the end glory. But we have so much that God gives us in the here and now. In which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice. No, it doesn't matter what this life brings you. We rejoice in what God has done for us in his hope. In his glory. Look at uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Romans 8 1 says. There is therefore now. No condemnation for those. Who are in Christ Jesus. If it, it, God sets us free from all of the guilt of our life. It says that there is no condemnation. Therefore Now. That right now, you have to let go of all of your guilt. That you have to let go of all of your self-pity. 
that you have to let go of all of these things that are keeping you from resting in what God has already done for you. That there is no condemnation. And there's no condemnation because when when God looks at his son, he sees perfection. And when he looks at you and I who are in his son, he sees that very same perfection. So he will not condemn you and I. So why are we condemning ourselves? Why are we living in a place where we are beating ourselves up for what God has already set us free from? Let that junk go. If we are to live and rest and allow Christ to do all that he wants to do in our lives, we have to live free from that stuff because he set us free from it. I'll give you one more. Uh, Romans chapter 8, we'll go look at the end of the chapter, verse 38 and 39. He says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is finished. Done. And nothing changes that. Man, that's, that's good news. That's great news. That because of what Christ did for you and I on the cross, that God has brought us into his family he chose us he adopted us as sons and daughters and brought us into his family and there's nothing in this world that can change that not even my own stupidity his love is so much higher than what we can ever do we are secure in who he is and what he says and what he has done for us in the cross Amen. So I don't have three things. I'll give you one. Won't you be made new? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, we're going to pray in just a second. Pastor Mike will be up here. Uh, We'll have other people up here that, that, that can share with you what God's Word says about being born again. About receiving everything that we just talked about freely. Not about earning it, about it being freely given to you. The word is in your heart. It's very near to you. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth. What will you do today? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. The good news that Jesus took our punishment. That he took our debt that was owed. That our wages that were owed to us, he took that. Upon himself on the cross. That he did everything. And all we have to do is receive and rest in what he has already accomplished. God, I pray that if there's any here among us that don't know Christ as their Savior, that today would be the day of their salvation. And for those of us who are in Christ, God, that we would just have a, a new spirit as we, we, we look at what you have done for us. As we look at at who we are in Christ, God, that that there is no condemnation for us and we shouldn't condemn ourselves. That we've been set free from that life. That we've been set free from sin. That we've been given new life in Christ. God, we praise you for who you are and what you have done. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.